0: Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 22 of 2021. In the U.S., we are observing Memorial Day to remember those members of our armed services who made the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our country. I'm Chris Louis, and with me, I have Brian Deach.
1: Speaking of sacrifice, I installed the, uh, the Russian keyboard at my house, and now I'm battling tons of U.S.-based malware. So there's that and Glenn Medina.
2: Hey everyone, welcome and thank you for joining us, happy to be back for podcast number 10. This is a historic moment for the uh, for the three of us,
0: and so uh, glad to be here. We are celebrating our 10th episode, which means we are now in the top one-third of Apple's podcasts for a number of episodes. I'm very excited to announce that we have our very first guest to the PebCAC podcast. I'd like to welcome Rich Kahn. Rich, why don't you give us a quick introduction?
3: Hey guys, my name's Rich. I am an engineer down here in Florida. Long time listener. First time caller. Worked with Chris for a long, long time and a really big fan of the podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks for being here. When we were first setting up this podcast, I actually reached out to Rich. He is an audiophile and he gave me a lot of advice on how to do the recording. So thank you, Rich. I'm glad to have you. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Rich is joining us straight out of Florida, so we have our very own resident Florida man on the show. That leads to two natural questions. First, will you be our resident Florida man consultant? And second, what's your favorite Florida man story since you've lived there?
3: First of all, yes. Does it come with a badge or any kind of official documentation? Can I put it on my LinkedIn?
0: Sure, why not?
3: Excellent. Um, favorite Florida man story is easy. I, I can tell you right off the top of my head. Um, have you guys ever seen the story where the Florida man threw an alligator through the Wendy's drive-thru window?
2: <laughs> no way. Dude, this is a Wendy's restaurant.
3: It's fantastic. Happened in like 2015 up in uh, the West Palm Beach, like about an hour north of where I live. Uh, dude picked up an alligator off the side of the road, threw it in his pickup truck, went to Wendy's, got his drink, and threw a gator through the window and then drove off.
2: Small, big, medium, can't be
3: large. Uh, it was three and a half feet. So it's not gigantic, but
2: it's it
3: <laughs> bigger than a little puppy. You know, that thing will. I wouldn't want to have a three-and-a-half-foot alligator thrown through a window I, at me. That's for sure. I
2: can only imagine the people running out of the restaurant at that time from the back <laughs> of the counter. <laughs> did they
0: Did they ask him why?
3: Uh, it was just a prank he said? He just thought that it would be funny?
0: I'm surprised at that guy's accuracy. I can't hand him like a credit card without them dropping it. How can he manage to <laughs> throw a three-and-a-half-foot alligator through a drive-thru window? That's That alone is impressive. Agreed. Yeah. Good story there, Rich. I think one of my favorite Florida man stories was one of uh, a man reported that his wife was uh, kidnapped by holograms. All right. On to our first topic, deception security. Following up on last week's topic of inoculating computers from ransomware by installing the Russian language keyboard, which, by the way, thank you, Brian, for being our guinea pig on that one. Tactics like this fall under a category called deception security. Deception security can also happen when a company monitors processes such as AV software on a machine and then it sees if anything attempts to terminate those processes. Terminating endpoint security software such as antivirus is a trademark behavior of malware such as ransomware, so it can avoid detection when performing malicious tasks. Now, in full disclosure, our employer Zscaler entered into an agreement to acquire a deception security company called a smokescreen. And deception security extends into areas such as deploying honeypots on the network. And these honeypots are typically virtual machines, seemingly attractive targets for the hackers, but they contain bogus but attractive information, and so no actual corporate information resides on these devices. The honeypots are properly segmented off the corporate network, and these honeypots serve two main functions – First is to distract attackers from the actual corporate network. And the second is to observe how attackers are attacking the honeypots and learning their tools, techniques, and procedures, their TTPs. Now, at the beginning of the global pandemic, a security researcher put an RDP honeypot out on the internet to see how long it would take someone to compromise it. And do you guys know how long it took before someone owned it? 14 minutes. I'd say about five. That's that's pretty
2: slow, <laughs> but uh, yeah, fourteen minutes. That's uh, that's not bad. It's pretty good. I've got Deech and Rich to do it in about three. So, I actually stood up a, an SSH honeypot at my house once,
1: and like that thing just got bombarded with like login attempts within minutes of standing it up and making it available. And it's all the the usual suspects, right? Root, admin, same passwords, just kind of logging in. Eventually, someone got in but there was really nothing there for them to do he saw him run a bunch of uh shell commands and trying to download different things but it, it was going nowhere it was completely segmented off have you guys ever ran a honeypot
2: i didn't run a honeypot but i actually ran an open proxy on my home network at one time and had people from china using my, my proxy that i didn't know was open i, I had all kinds of good traffic coming through that, that I was able to grab their logs off of and look at. So, um, not intentional, uh, accidental. And then what I found was it was fun just looking through the logs and seeing what people were doing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see like the password combinations that, that you get admin admin uh, sometimes you'll actually get like credential stuffing attacks. They'll take a, a database of passwords somewhere that they stole from a breach or they bought from a breach and you'll actually see people's actual usernames and passwords or sometimes they mistype something and, and they think that they're on the server that they're supposed to be and then you can actually collect corporate credentials that way uh, just by, by typo squatting.
1: One of the more interesting uh, artifacts was a, a text message that was uh, left in like the... Uh like Etsy logs, I forget what it was. It was called finger.txt. And when I opened it up, it was an ASCII middle finger uh, to me. So I thought that was kind of creative.
2: <laughs> so does this mean we get, now that we're part of the company, does this mean uh, now that Smokescreen's is part of the company, I wonder if we're going to get
0: uh, our own honey pots to do it in our home lab. That should be fun. Yeah. I'm actually really interested in seeing what kind of data we get from that because they're, There are other companies out there, like Thinks Canary uh, comes to mind, where you can configure it to look like a RDP server. You can configure it to look like an Open SIFS share or an SMB file share uh, just seemingly vulnerable out there on the internet. And yeah, I'm interested to see what type of attacks people are going to perform on it and to learn what they're doing.
1: Do you think anyone's ever come across like uh, you have your honeypot stood up right there and then there's an attack factor of some nature and it turned out to be zero day. Do you think anyone's actually implemented that against this, like the naked internet
0: and found it and discovered it?
1: Or do you think that's more targeted type of use case
0: there? Typically, I would say zero days are used in very targeted attacks because the value of a zero day is that it's previously unknown. So if you're out there just spraying it out there on the internet on these unknown random, Uh, devices it's more likely to be discovered but if you custom tailor the uh, zero day for your target and only use it for them then that's typically where we see uh, the the most use of zero days hey elevate the question a little bit right and
2: do we ever look go back and look to see like where these uh, attacks are coming from it's like is it truly like 60 percent Russia or sixty or forty percent China and go back and look at the IP space that's actually hitting these uh these honeypots. That that would be another thing to to go look at and see if you can just worm your way back.
0: I think the data we get from honeypots and in combination with other, other type of incident responses, the dump logs and and crash logs and network logs, uh, that that all builds a picture because when you think of something like VirusTotal, where people can upload malware and see if it's caught by any of the 70 AV engines they use, you know, after an attack and they get a malware sample, they can actually check Virus Total and say, oh, wow, someone knew about this seven months ago, uploaded the file, knew nobody caught it at the time. And sometimes you can catch versions of the, the malware before it was finally compiled. So you can catch their beta version where their OPSEC uh, might not be as strong. And that can help with the attribution problem to say, well, you know, beta version of this malware was uploaded to Virus Total seven months ago, and it looks like this particular group based out of this country was behind it.
2: Okay. Time to go play. <laughs> Rich, you're awfully quiet.
1: You know how to work your mute button, buddy?
3: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was stuck on mute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: On our next topic, this one has a bit of a long intro, but the payoff is worth it, so so bear with me here. The app maker Signal is trolling the forensic analysis company Celebrate. Signal is an open source secure messaging platform which uses end-to-end encryption to protect user privacy. The end-to-end encryption makes it nearly impossible for anyone to intercept and read a message sent between Signal users. Now, this company, Celebrate, they manufacture devices and provide services to governments and law enforcement agencies to hack into iPhones with weak security if it's locked, and if it's unlocked, it can extract and index the entire contents of an iPhone or or even an Android device. This information would include text messages, iMessage, email, contacts, and even stored signal messages. While Celebrate made a big deal announcing they can now decrypt signals messages, It only means they can parse the SQLite database, which stores Signal's messages. So chill out, Celebrate. The creator of the Signal app and the Signal protocol, Moxie Marlinspike, he got his hands on a Celebrate device because, as luck would have it, a box fell off a truck as he was taking a walk, and the box contained one of their iPhone dumping tools. Moxie probed the device and found several glaring vulnerabilities in the device. For example... There's one vulnerability where he gained remote code execution capability by putting a specially crafted file on his iPhone and had the device read it. Now, you can read between the lines, but Moxie basically stated that the Signal app will now contain such a file, so if any Celebrate device has tried to read the contents of an iPhone with Signal installed, it'll brick the Celebrate device, which is just hilarious. Now, Signal is the bane of existence for law enforcement and lawful intercept folks, because of that end-to-end encryption. Yeah, I think this goes back to Chris.
2: You know, should I die, Brian? You know, please delete my my browser cache and you know, break my phone. So, <laughs> right. Um, long discussion, right? It, law enforcement having access, you know, to to data streams that are you know considered private, right? Like, how how far do we go into that of of personal privacy versus you know legitimately what law enforcement should be able to look into and have have access to. If you go back to like the San Bernardino um, San Bernardino um, um, uh, person, that the, the attacker, the terrorist that was going around shooting people, you know they were able to you know take his phone. Apple did not want to um, unlock it, but they found a, a third party company that was able to do that. Was that right? You know, if you look at it from a standpoint of, yeah, yeah, that was right. But, you know, if you look at it from a privacy standpoint, no, that was wrong as well. Right. So I could, I could see both sides of it. It it really depends on, on the crime that we're talking about here. Right. But in general, should, should law enforcement have rights to put a warrant on my phone just to access it because they want to, because of some so-called crime that that's debatable. See,
1: I, what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm on the side of, I want my privacy, uh, period. I think if you open up Pandora's box and, and say that this one person's worse than the other and there's a rule that we can get into their phone, right? That's one thing. It's only a matter of time before lawmakers start to say, well, Brian Deach, he's, he's a bigger butthead than than Glenn, so we need to be able to get into his kitchen. yeah. You know what I mean? I, I hate that. And the reality is our phones know more about us than we even know about ourselves. You know what I mean? Not that we're doing anything nefarious there, but there is just a ton of information on these devices about ourselves, which I'm not comfortable with anyone having, let alone myself.
2: Slippery slope. You're absolutely right. Yeah.
3: If one person has a key, then more than one person is going to have a key, right? You can't just have the special back door for just the good guys. Doors don't necessarily work that way. But who is this Celebrate company? Is this is this actually the company that, that was able to unlock the phone that Apple didn't want to unlock? Is that basically what these guys are doing?
0: So for a very long time, people thought it was Celebrate because the FBI would not name the company. Uh, it turns ah. out it was not Celebrate. Uh, I, the name escapes me right now, but it was uh, it was released probably within, just within the last few weeks. I can look it up and put a link in the description to the article. But it was not Celebrate even though people thought it was. And the price to unlock that locked iPhone was about 900,000 U S dollars.
1: Wow.
0: Dang, there's a lot of scratch right there. Rich and I actually used to work with somebody, um, at one of our previous companies and every so often he'd come into work and said, well guys, my kid typed in the passcode to my iPhone 10 times wrong. And I, I need all your phone numbers again because, because my device wiped.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of which, you guys actually have that turned on that if it, it fails so many times it just wipes the device.
2: A corporate, it's a corporate security policy. I thought it was like five and it gets wiped, doesn't it? Or, or seven? for us. I thought it was for us. Maybe I'm mistaken. Well, forget
1: the company we wear for personal cell phones. <laughs> do you guys have that turned on? I know I do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I do as well. I wouldn't, uh, like I said, if, if it got lost, I'd want to wipe it immediately. So um, I, I'm, I'm of the mind, too, that I can restore my phone pretty quickly because all my data is in the cloud so i I, that i don't mind wiping a phone especially if it gets lost
3: i did have it turned off for a while when my children were slightly younger though because i think to chris's point right there little kids are going to enter that password in wrong quite a few times i've been locked out of my phone for like 10 minutes before because they just will not stop punching the wrong password into it no matter how many times
1: and then why why worry about your phone right if you have everything in the cloud then that's another attack vector, right, that can come in.
3: I mean, do you really want to spend an hour of your day doing that every day? <laughs> no, no, I don't.
0: <laughs> and not all of us have a gig internet like like you, Brian. So downloading that backup from the cloud could take some time.
1: All my cat videos, right?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Actually, the the real culprit here is is Chris Louie, who has a screenshot literally of anything and everything that's ever been said that he, can, that he has somehow magically figured out how to index it and retrieve it at a moment's notice. That's the scary part.
2: Yeah, I've gone to Chris and I'm like, hey, Chris, do you remember this? And he goes, oh, yeah, hold on. I, I've got that. And I'm like, holy cow. that's. I, I'll look at the email and it's like from maybe four or five years ago when he first started with the company. I'm like, that is amazing. And, and you're right, Brian, it's not the fact that he has the data, it's the fact that he's able to retrieve it in such a way that is astonishingly
0: quick. So, kudos to you, Chris. Can I say, I'm a digital pack rat. Yeah. Better than being a pack rat in real life, though, it takes up a lot less physical storage.
1: <laughs> That's debatable. I want to see your house. Turn off the uh, the mass background.
0: That'll <laughs> <laughs> well, be for another time for sure. to our third story we will have to pour one out for internet explorer or internet exploder or internet exploiter however you like to call it the long enduring internet browser that's been the butt of countless jokes about its speed reliability and probably most notable of all security microsoft will finally retire the browser next year after more than 25 years of service Many of our listeners might remember the antitrust court case against Microsoft for bundling its browser with Windows, and now we're reaching back into the, the old Netscape days. With only a few exceptions, Microsoft will finally end support for IE in June 2022, giving its last uses about a year to transition to Chrome, Firefox, Edge, or any other supported browser out there. The few exceptions are for IoT and OT devices, which cannot reasonably have their browsers changed. Microsoft patched Internet Explorer pretty much every single month for the past two decades, but with that legacy support came baggage that Microsoft was never able to overcome in in IE. Even with the Edge browser, the Chakra core was prone to dozens of vulnerabilities and also was patched every second Tuesday of the month, and Microsoft finally realized they should not be in the browser building business anymore and gave up. The current supported version of Edge now uses Chromium for their browser. What are some of your favorite Internet exploder stories?
1: I would say probably the, the backwards support for like legacy technology. I remember like there was a time where now I'm dating myself, but to, to open like the VPE in, in blue coat, you had to be like on a specific version. Of internet explorer to be able to 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 actually open it and, and any other browser would just break, and this memory was this mind numbing and back in the day when it was at I think it was at u s airways when we did that, we actually had an old version of Windows that was virtualized uh, that we would jump to to make blue Coat configuration changes it was like it was insane
2: I remember that that is so funny <laughs> it's like so we got to manage these blue coat devices but we've got to go into a VM that's running IE that hasn't been patched in in years because that's the only way to manage these devices and it's a security tool. So yeah, that's, that, that's even funnier there right than the fact that I think for the longest time those blue coat appliances um ran java right and only ran on certain versions of 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 java along with IE and try to make that try to make that happen as well so yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad I don't work there anymore, Brian and, and Chris and Rich. It's. I'm so glad I'm here. So.
3: Even up until recently, I used IE more than any other browser when it came to downloading Chrome or Firefox. <laughs> For the first time.
0: <laughs> nice. I wonder what
3: percentage of overall Internet Explorer usage is opening it up and downloading. Firefox or Chrome, and then never opening
2: it up again. It's like the first time when you open up a Surface or, or, or uh, Windows, right? It's like what's the first thing everyone does, and the question is, what's the browser that they go to after that? It's got
3: to be Edge, right? Edge will be the number one browser for downloading Chrome
2: or Firefox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Very true>. Nice.
1: <laughs> and then of course, uh, you know, Firefox or, or Chrome will pop up and say, "Do you want to use Google as your default search engine or Bing?" And you'll be like, "Heck no, we're doing." Google only Duck, or DuckDuckGo Duck, 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 go Duck, in our case. DuckDuckGo.
0: Yeah. DuckDuckGo yeah. is yep. the way to go. Yeah, I remember uh, a company I used to work at, we had a, a web, uh, a cloud-based web UI, and it, it was supported, I think we were on IE10 at the time, and I had a customer call me up and say, hey, you know that, that last update you pushed, it, it it messed up, and now now I can't, like, the UI is all messed up. And I said, okay, well, you know, what version of the browser are you using? He's like, uh, we're using IE6. And we you know, ten was current at the time. Like, why are you using IE six? And they're like, well, that's the corporate standard. That's what has been tested. That's the only version of IE that's that's allowed. So you got to call your product people, roll back the change, and make it compatible with IE six again. And having said, okay, yeah, I'll I'll definitely put in the request uh, for that. No guarantees on on if that will happen or how long that will take. But but yeah, to to the point of, this is the current and supported version of IE, but it was four versions behind, which has to mean there were glaring security vulnerabilities that just weren't patched. But sometimes that's that's those are the most dangerous words in a corporate environment, which is this is how we've always done it.
2: Yeah, could you imagine 25 years in service? That is a long time for, for people to use IE. If, you know, like I said, just the reality, right? I mean, if you look at some corporations, they really are, their stuff. stuck. They're not using any other browser because I think that's the only one they, they should use, right? I mean, if you go back to like Firefox, Firefox uses its own search certificate store for SSL decryption, can can do its own proxy settings, right, and, and get away from that. Not a lot of, you know, easy manipulation of the settings there as opposed to like Chrome who uses or leverages you know, the, the, the settings that are built in from, from, from windows.
3: I, was just, I think as of last year, there was still like 25 million machines out there that are running windows XP. So what, what does this end of life really even mean for IE usage out there? Is that, is it going to go away? Is it just going to be a lot more security vulnerabilities out there in enterprises?
0: I think that just means the the hackers out there that have unreleased IE bugs are gonna wait until July of 2022 to release them or sell them, more likely, uh, and then knowing that IE is just never gonna get another patch. Same same with Windows 7. Like Windows 7 on the consumer side, it's it's end of life. You're not getting updates anymore for Windows 7 consumer.
2: So, but what does that mean? Like again, go back to like what Rich was saying. Is like I don't remember ever seeing an uninstall for Internet Explorer. Or did they finally make one like I've never I've just kind of put it aside, got rid of it, never looked at it again. Right. After I, like Rich said, after you go open up your your Windows device and you download the next browser that you're going to use, I've never gone back and actually tried to uninstall IE. Have you guys? Do you think that would happen?
1: I'm anti Windows, so I wouldn't even know.
3: I think that that was the outcome of the the antitrust case that they had back in the 90s, right? Was that they couldn't make it such an integral part of yeah. the OS that it couldn't be removed? But I do—I've
2: never removed. Yeah, I got I, now. I got to go open up my my Surface Book and go see. So
1: can, can you imagine though, if you wrote like an exploit for like an old version of IE that's running on XP, and you're like, I'm in, you know, one of 25 million endpoints that are still running this. Meanwhile, that computer's so slow, and it's just like a nine year old woman <laughs> right trying to like place like book orders on some archaic <laughs> website like there's like there's gotta be like no target audience for for a breach like that for sure
0: yeah, maybe not on the consumer side, but you can you can think of a uh, a potential corporate environment that might have an old x p. box they have this legacy software that requires x p and they have to keep it running. And if you can get into that, and then use that as your full foothold foot into the corporate network, that, I could see that being. Potentially dangerous.
2: Windows embedded, right? Still see it everywhere. Yeah, in that yeah. 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 I mean, if there's a lot of industrial controls out there, that are still running Windows 95. Uh, like I said, it's amazing how much how much they're still out there. I mean, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that they finally got rid of Windows 95 on ATM machines and they went to like 2000. <laughs> so um yeah, go look that one up. That should be interesting. So as well.
1: How crazy is it? You have some people that are like attacking like Windows 9, 95 machines that weren't even born in 95, right? They're like developing code to exploit stuff that was actually older than themselves. That's that's interesting.
2: Sign of the times. 25 years old, Chris. <laughs> It can drink, it can vote. (laughs) 25 yourself.
0: Let's have a moment of silence and press F to pay respects to our old friend, IE. On to our last topic. We've talked about Apple, the iPhone, and privacy a lot on this podcast. So I'm I'm going to ask my co-hosts to grab their phones, their iPhones, and do something with me. You can follow along at home as well. I happen to know that all of you have iPhones and this will only work on the iPhone. If you're on Android, well, Google already has all your location data and has already used it for targeted ads. So on your iPhone, go to settings, scroll down a little bit and go to privacy. It's got the the hand, the blue sign with the hand up. Don't talk to me. (laughs) Go to location services, scroll all the way to the bottom and click on System Services. It'll be the last option there. Within System Services, the last option at the top should be Significant Locations. This would likely require a Face ID or a PIN code, in Glenn's case, to access. But this should show you a list of locations where you spend any amount of time. So back when I was traveling for work, you would see all the places I had been to, like Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles. And you can go ahead and click on any of the cities, and it can actually narrow it down to a store or a house. So there's a grocery store in my neighborhood that I go to once a week to get groceries. If I click on my town, I can actually see how often I go to that store. So while we know that Apple and the iPhone has stronger privacy controls than Android and other operating systems, your iPhone is still tracking you. Scary.
2: I actually turned that off not a long let, time ago. Yeah, do not let the wife know about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the recommended, Chris? Is this turn this off so that way it doesn't track it? Or do you need this in order for apps to run correctly? What's your thoughts on that?
0: At the top, it says. Uses your iPhone and iCloud connected service to learn places significant to you to provide useful location-related information such as maps, calendars, photos, and more. So I, I actually haven't turned it off to try to see what breaks with it. They do have a clear history button, which is, I guess, useful that you can clear this this data out of there. But I, I haven't, I don't know the implications of turning it off quite yet. I
3: love this functionality. This is. Super cool. I generally have decided that I'm going to trust Apple with my data at this point in time. And they, it makes Siri do all sorts of cool stuff. Like say, Hey, it's about time for you to leave to go pick up your kids from school. I'm like, hey, it is about time for you to, to go pick up my kids from school. Thanks, Siri. Put the drink down,
2: Rich. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you know, it's not on my calendar or anything like that. It just knows, hey, about this time, you usually get up and go pick up the kiddo, right? Yeah. So um, it just says, hey, you know, leave now to beat traffic or whatever like that. Um, it's, it's been a lot less useful this last year when I'm not really going places, but it, it makes for some cool functionality. Hey Rich, it's time to go urine. <laughs> That's
1: about all I really know. <laughs>
2: well, your watch tells you to do that, right? So go stand up, go use the bathroom, go for a run. So I think we all we're all in the Borg here, the collective Apple Borg. So I've had these. That yeah, is true. true. I... Go ahead, go, first. So
0: that is true. I I remember uh, we there's a food truck gathering here every Tuesday night, and we go out there and take the kids and. Just like Rich said, sure enough, on Tuesday evening before we go, it said, hey, it's time to go, go pick up dinner and it pop up the alerts. I guess, yeah, that's, that's part of the data that they mine. Yeah, like to...
3: Pavlov's dog. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> so I think, uh, so number one, I've had this turned off for a long time. So I don't get any of those messages like, hey, I think you need to go do this. Uh, but anything on my calendar will still pop up, like, hey, travel time, et cetera. So I've actually had mine off for maybe two years when I fir- first learned about it, and I haven't really experienced anything negative to that.
2: Okay, so not so turning this off has not caused any negative issues with you not being able to use an application properly then, All right, Brian? Okay.
0: What about Maps? I know the Apple Maps app, if you connect it to your car, it'll re- remember where you parked your car does turning it off affect that, Brian?
1: No, it still still works there, too. And that's actually a good point. I think that's when I when I noticed it. It was like, hey, are you going to LA Fitness? I'm like, what the hell? Like, piss off. Like, you're not <laughs> supposed to know me. It's the same reason, like, why I stopped, you know, um, you know, buying pizza from Domino's back in the day. Like, they just, at, at some point in time, they just knew that, hey, if we send the pizza there, he's going to buy it. And we know he's <laughs> by himself, so we'll just send it, like, unsliced, and he can just kind of roll it up and eat it like a burrito. I'm like, you don't know me, Domino's. And so the next thing you know, I'm over here shopping with like Papa John's. They don't judge me.
0: There's actually a funny news story, I guess ancillarily related to that, and I'm fairly certain it's true. Where you know there was an elderly woman, and she ordered a Domino's pizza like once a day, or she ordered something from Domino's once a day and had it delivered, and. All of a sudden, one day, the local Domino's did not get an order for her, and they sent the car out there to check on her, and she had actually fallen and couldn't reach her phone, and her habit of getting a pizza a day actually might have saved her life that way. Is that Florida woman? <laughs> I don't know if it was Florida. I'll have, to, I'll have to look that one up and see where that one was.
2: I remember that story. I just couldn't remember where it was at, but yeah, that's a good story. But now, but now I was... Is anyone going to check on you with that stupid Uno car coming to your house as opposed to an actual person? That is true. I am
1: terrible about that. Like, if I worked at Domino's and I delivered pizza to the same lady every day at 1205 for like three years, I wouldn't notice, right? Like, she, she'd just be dead at this point. Like, I just would have forgotten. <laughs> like, no, her family would have found her and be like, man, it's so weird. And I'd be like, I had, had no idea. I just thought she was done eating pizza, guys. I don't have to tell you.
0: I'm not very observant. <laughs> we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week we're getting our guest Rich to give us his best dad joke. Right. I ever
3: tell you guys about the time that I mixed up the words jacuzzi and yakuza?
0: No.
2: No.
3: I ended up in some real hot water with the Japanese mafia. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wah, wah,
0: wah. (laughs) Nice one, Rich. All right, to wrap things up, deception security is a new trend to try to outsmart the attackers. Signal's creator is trolling the makers of iPhone hacking and dumping tools. We pour one out for our old friend, Internet Explorer, when Microsoft finally pulls the plug next June. Apple is still tracking you, but its privacy controls are stronger and more transparent than Android. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest, Rich Kahn, for coming on our show.
3: Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was great.
0: You'll find us all on LinkedIn, including Rich. Links will be in the description. And just so you know, by listening to this podcast, a Florida man will visit you in your dreams. If you know anyone else who would like a Florida man to visit them in their dreams, please share this podcast with them. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCag Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rich.
2: Thanks. Bye.
0: Appreciate it.